Hello, thank you for joining me today here for Bible Studies with Russ. Today we're picking up the Revelation chapter 6. Uh, last time we looked at Revelation 4 and 5, we looked at the throne room of uh, heaven in Revelation 4, and we looked at the Lamb who alone was worthy to take and open the, the scroll there in Revelation chapter 5. And today we're looking at Revelation chapter 6, beginning here in verse 1, and we, we begin looking at the various seals that are mentioned back in chapter 5. Uh, now this chapter is concerned with the breaking of the first six seals and what happened in connection with each. There are views from various different commentators about this. Uh, some say these events are entirely in the future, connecting them with the, quote, rapture which precedes the millennium. And this is a false doctrine, as we said before. None of these, none of these things, the exception of the judgment day, the final judgment day, uh, none of these things are spoken of as being in a distant future. They all are spoken of, as we saw back in chapter 1, as things which must soon come to pass. Uh, Barnes, in his commentary, says these represent historical events. Uh, but the best view that I have highlighted here is, is it identifies and makes application to the way things were in the first century, with application being made in principle to really any century. Okay, let's look at the first seal. Uh, this is one I have titled Conquest. And some, you know, if you look in your Bibles, there's various headings, and sometimes they're, they're pretty good. As I've ever mentioned time and time again, sometimes they're not. I'm not sure what your heading may have, but the one I have here uh, in my notes, I'm not going by what's on my uh, Bible heading. Uh, the first seal is, is entitled Conquest, and this is verses 1 and 2. Okay, so let's look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Here the Bible says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures sing the loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, a white horse among the ancients symbolized victory. We know we reference this sometimes symbolizing, depending on the context, victory or purity or even just righteousness. But here it seems to symbolize best victory. Uh, and so this white horse, among uh, again, symbolizes victory. This is in reference to the conquering force of the gospel. Some commentaries differ on this, on this but it is the gospel that conquers all. So we go back to Isaiah 55 and verse 11. Christ goes forth to conquer the souls of men with the gospel. And so he goes forth to conquer. The Bible says in verse 2, uh, he went out conquering and to conquer. Looking at verses 3 and 4, this being the second seal, which I have titled here, Strife, War, Persecution, and Bloodshed. There's a lot for one seal. But that's, that's verses 3 and 4, the second seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard a living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from earth, and that the people should kill one another, and there was, was given to him a great sword. The red horse represents bloodshed and persecution, particularly of the saints. The faithful Christians will be persecuted for the gospel message, and much of the persecution will be done by the Roman Empire. And so we know one thing about the faithful is that they're commonly persecuted. Whether you're talking about Old Testament or New Testament time period, or even today, uh, they are commonly persecuted. And so that's the uh, persecution we find there mentioned in verses 3 and 4. The third seal, which I have the title here, Famine, Economic Oppression, and Hardship. That's the third seal, Famine, Economic Oppression, and Hardship, for verses 5 and 6. 
And here the Bible says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, because there are mentioned different food items are mentioned, it would make sense to apply this to some type of food problem. Well, the black horse does represent famine and scarcity and want, or being in want. The purpose of the voice was not to alleviate, but to show the extent of hardship. The rider has a pair of balances in his hand. When food has to be measured out by weight, who would deny this, the scarcity of it? You know, if you're if you're uh, having to weigh, to measure it out by weight, in case there's there's going to be probably a high price for it as well. And this also go back goes back to Leviticus twenty six twenty six and and Ezekiel four verse sixteen. Barley was the grain of the quote poor man. Uh, wheat was more expensive. A measure equals about two pints, the daily consumption of a man, a penny or shilling, or the Roman denarius, the daily wage of a laborer. Thus, he could buy one quart of wheat or three quarts of barley, if for a family. Not very much. This is a picture of scarcity and what that, and what that rides in the wake of, uh, in the in wake of war and warfare and civil strife. And so, uh, hardship many times does come right before war, and many times it comes as a direct result of war. Uh, we see no, we know today very well. There's a lot of people today in Ukraine who are struggling because of the things going on there. And we find similar things mentioned here that when war goes on and bloodshed is going on, that food and, and basic necessities become very hard to come by. Next, we find the fourth seal, verses 7 and 8. And I have here the heading, Death, Disease, and Pestilence, for the fourth seal, verses 7 and 8. And looking here, the Bible says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And, a, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. And so he said on, on the horse here was death, not death in Hades, but death, and Hades followed him. We have to make sure that we show that distinction. It wasn't death in Hades, but it was death, and then Hades was following after him. Uh, as we look at here at verses 7 and 8, we find that this pale horse represents death, disease, and pestilence. This pale horse is a symbol of terror, and its rider becomes a personification of death. Four ways God rendered judgment in the Old Testament is also found in Ezekiel 14.21. And here we find it mentioned again with the sword, with famine, with beasts, and with pestilence. And we find that here in verses 7 and 8 with the fourth seal. The fifth seal, verses 9 through 11, have entitled, How Long? In parentheses, I have here, Martyred Saints Under the Altar. So, How Long? Martyred saints under the altar, the fifth seal, verses 9 and 11 of Revelation chapter 6. Looking at verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried, cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our, and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given 
uh, was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, and to both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. And so this scene portrays the martyrs which are under the altar. The martyred members of the church are the victims under this altar. Here the souls of the martyrs are under the altar because they have been, they have been uh, sacrificed. Uh, their blood was spilled because of their faithfulness. We also have this reminded, reminded, reminder given to us back in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6 and Romans 12 and verse 1. These cry out for justice and vindication of a righteous God upon a rebellious and God-forgetful world. In a true sense, these are asking God how long he is going to let what is happening on earth continue. We know that vengeance belongs to God, Romans 12 and verse 19. This is not a personal vindication, rather bringing justice upon evil. Plea, the plea is answered, we find here, uh, white robes of victory given also they, uh, the call that they should rest for a little while until their brethren should have fulfilled their course. Looking at verse 11, we also have here a cross-reference to, Re to Revelation 14 and verse 13. God's great redemptive purpose in history must be worked out, even though more suffering is involved. We know that many times in order to, for, for certain plans to take place, difficulties have to be, have to be carried out. And here it involves suffering. And we know that those who are faithful to God, they will be rewarded for their loyalty and faithfulness to God. And rewarded unlike anyone else, unlike anyone on this planet could ever imagine. You know, think about how many of those today who make millions and millions of dollars. You know, think about here, here we are, you know, in 2022, and Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers just signed a deal where he's guaranteed, I think, over almost $150 million over the next four years. That's a lot of money. In the Judgment Day, though, the Christians, the faithful Christian, gets a whole lot more. And it's not money. We get to be with God. Something that, is, that cannot be bought. Something that cannot be obtained by someone's skill and some type of sport or something else. It's only gained by loyalty to God. That's what we have to keep in mind. And so we find here with this fifth seal in verses 9 through 11, what are they going to gain when they keep the course? Something that cannot be bought with money. They'll be, they'll be able to obtain heaven as their home because their loyalty to God. Looking at verses 12 through 17, we have the sixth seal. Uh, I have entitled here the natural phenomena, uh, phenomena uh, verses uh, 12 through 17, the sixth seal. Beginning in verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains, and sit in the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who is able to stand? These descriptions are drawn from a number of passages, but indicate we are looking here to a great day of God's judgment. This is when the vindication in seal 5 will take place. Judgment is pictured here as coming upon all men, the highest to the lowest, as we see in verse 17. Details of this judgment, this judgment, earthquake, sun becoming black, moon becoming blood, the stars falling, and moving hills, again, related to this judgment. 
the stars of heaven represent the religious authorities in, in Judah, as uh, Judea, as seems possible in Isaiah 13, verse 10, Daniel 8, verse 10, and Matthew 24, 27 through 29. These are cast down forcibly as are figs when the reed is shaken by the, by the stormy winds. Mountains represent kings and kingdoms which would be overthrown. Islands represent tribes and peoples which depend on the great city of Jerusalem for their livelihood. These islands appear to be the merchants who stand far off and lament the destruction of the city. As we see also in chapter 16, 19 through 20 and chapter 18, 11 through 19. Many tried to hide, but there would be no hiding from the judgment of God. Who is able to stand, as we find in Joel 2 and verse 11? Those who were unprepared were panicked, no doubt for good reason. As we include this this, uh, chapter here, the lesson of chapter 6 is that the persecuted triumph, and the godless are judged. The message of this section, as a result, the world always, again and again, persecutes the church. What does the Bible teach, though? We are reminded of this in John 16 and verse 33. A glimpse of the horror of the final judgment when the wicked see the judge, as we also find this in Revelation chapters 12 through 17. Now, this brings us to an end of chapter 6. And next we're coming to chapter 7. If I can get here to my notes here real quick. Revelation chapter 7. And... You have here, at least in my Bible, I have this heading. Uh, heading here is the Sealed of Israel. Now, Revelation chapter 7, uh, we know there's mentioned here the uh, 144,000 down in verse 4, and there's a lot of uh, some controversy. I shouldn't say a lot. There's some controversy uh, about that, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. But let's look at chapter 7 together. Revelation chapter 7, and this probably most likely will be the last uh, thing we look at today. Revelation 7, beginning in verse 1, says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or, or on any tree. So nothing is to prevent God from protecting his own. The angels of the winds control their movements. There is an angel for each of the four corners, or directions. God will take care of his people, as you find here in verse 1. Nothing will harm the souls of God's own. The sealing that that will take place is to protect God's people from the trial and persecution that are coming against the church. Looking at verse 2 and 3. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth the sea or the tree, so we have sealed the servants of, of our God on their foreheads. So the first concern of the angel was the was uh, with the sea, the first concern of the angel with the seal is to prohibit the angels uh, with the winds from letting loose the elements until his work is work of sealing is done. The seal indicated something is sealed to protect it. Seal also shows ownership. The mark in their foreheads or on their forehead is not a literal one but figuratively indicating that these are God's people. One thing is for sure, this judgment will not be turned loose until the work of, of sealing has been completed. Looking at verse 44, excuse me, looking at verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The 144,000 is a figurative expression to indicate the full number of God's people. Some teach that the 144,000, or an elect group which shall inherit heaven while all the other children of God, will remain on a renovated earth. Notice that the context of chapter 7 does not teach such. 
A strictly literalistic view of the text will show that shall the 144,000 be on the earth, verse 3, while the great multitude of the believers are pictured in heaven before God's throne, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 4, verse 2. The two multitudes complete each other and should not be taken separately. In verses 5 through 8, you have the various tribes that are sealed here. Uh, you have, these are the 19 different orders or arrangements of the tribes in the Old Testament. Uh, it says here in verse 5, the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. And I'm just going to paraphrase this here, verses 5 through 8. Each of these tribes had 12,000 sealed. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, uh, Simeon, Levi, Ezekar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Verses 5 through 8, each tribe having 12,000 sealed. Um, so th there are 19 different orders or arrangements of the tribes in the Old Testament and the various lists given in the Bible. Judah is first. Christ came from that tribe. We do not know if this is the reason Judah is placed first in this list. Twelve tribes times 12,000 people give us the total 144,000, figurative of the saved in the Old Testament times, not an exact number, and the great multitude which would be saved from after the Old Testament period. Listing the tribes, Dan is omitted. It has been speculated that he is omitted because of the belief that the Antichrist would come from his tribe. Also in that tribe, the worship of the molten calf came. Joseph is substituted for Ephraim, and Joseph was the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. Now verses 9 through 17, I have here the heading, the, the innumerable company, verses 9 through 17, that is the rest of the chapter. Here the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all the nations, tribes, and peoples, tongues, and standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed right rows with palm branches in their hand. We mentioned this just a moment ago. Verse 9 would contradict the idea that only 144,000 will be saved. Because, why? There's a great multitude which no one could number. Where are they? Clothed with robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Verse 9. Uh, verse 10 says, And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And he said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Once washed in the blood, the ones washed in the blood of the Lamb were, were those being saved to the end by Christ. The triumph of the innumerable multitude. Contrast in the first vision, they can be counted, they can be counted in the second, they can be counted, and the second they cannot. First is being prepared, and second is being victorious and secure. This scene anticipates the final condition of the redeemed. These two scenes are of the same people, the first on earth and the second in heaven. Okay, we are going to stop there today. We're going to wait and come back next week to look at chapter 8. I don't want to really cover more than two chapters at a time. So I do thank you for being here with me today on Bible Studies with Russ. Hope you enjoyed this Bible study. I hope you are encouraged by it. 
you have any questions or comments, you can com- you can contact me through the uh, Bible Studies with Russ Facebook group or through our website, BibleWayMedia.org. As always, we thank you for listening. I hope to see you again next time here on Bible Studies with Russ.